There are no dress rehearsals. There are only performances. We get one crack at this life, and if we want to achieve something, if we want to live the sort of life that leaves a lasting legacy of love, then we need to live life on purpose and live it in the power of God. Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today, we're going to poke around a bit in your life. What's your main purpose? Hey, what's God's main purpose for your life? And are you living this one life of yours on purpose? So let's head into God's Word and stick with me because in just a few minutes, I'll be telling you how you can receive Christianity Works free daily devotional. It's called Fresh, and it's all about helping you draw closer to God so that you can be all that He made you to be. I want to share something with you today that changed my life. It was the turning point for me from a life of complete selfishness and self-indulgence to a life of doing the best I can with who I am and what I have to serve other people. When I read this short passage that I'm about to share with you, my whole world caved in because I knew, I mean, I knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that my life was on the wrong course. You may have heard of the book The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. It's been a bestseller for many years. I read it back in the early to mid-1990s, at a time when I was on a self-improvement binge. And it was habit number two in that book that brought me unstuck. Have a listen to what Covey writes. In your mind's eye, see yourself going to the funeral of a loved one. Picture yourself driving to the funeral parlour or the chapel, parking the car and getting out. As you walk inside the building, you notice the flowers and the soft organ music. You see the faces of friends and family you pass along the way. You feel the shared sorrow of losing, the joy of having known that radiates from the hearts of the people there. As you walk down the front of the room and you look inside the casket, you suddenly come face to face with yourself. This is your funeral three years from today. All these people have come to honour you to express feelings of love and appreciation for your life. As you take a seat and wait for the service to begin, you look at the program in your hand. There are to be four speakers. The first one is from your family, immediate and also extended. Children, brothers, sisters, nephews, nieces, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents who've come from all over the country to attend your funeral. The second speaker is one of your friends, someone who can give a sense of who you were as a person. The third speaker is from your work or profession, and the fourth speaker is from your church or some community organisation where you've been involved in serving. Now think deeply. What would you like each of these speakers to say about your life? What kind of husband, father, mother would you like their words to reflect? What kind of son or daughter or cousin? What kind of friend? What kind of work associate? What character would you like them to have seen in you? What contributions, what achievements would you want them to remember? Look carefully at the people around you. What difference would you like to have made in their lives? Covey goes on to make this point. The end of your life is in fact the best frame of reference or the criterion by which everything else should be examined. By keeping that end clearly in mind, you can make certain that whatever you do on any particular day doesn't violate the criteria that you've defined as supremely important and that each day of your life contributes in a meaningful way to the vision that you have for your life as a whole. 
To begin with the end in mind means to start with a clear understanding of your destination. When I read those words for the first time a couple of decades ago, I wept. I wept for a few days, actually, because I realised that my whole life, focused as it was on myself, was going to amount to nothing. I realised that the people at my funeral would not be able to say the things about me that I'd really wanted them to have said. I was in my mid-30s at the time, outwardly successful, but at this turning point in my life, I realised that all the things I'd been doing up to this point simply hadn't contributed to the outcomes that, in my heart of hearts, I truly wanted. And the outcome that matters at the end is to have lived a life that will leave a lasting legacy of love. And I simply wasn't doing the things that would have achieved that outcome. I imagined people would struggle to say anything good about me, not because I'd wasted my life, I wasn't a failure, I was a success, but because the things I'd been doing day after day hadn't been speaking love and showing love into the lives of others. That one realisation, as devastating as it was, was the starting point for a completely changed life. Not a perfect life by any means, but a complete change of focus, a complete change of direction, a decision to turn my life around and focus on doing things for others, and in so doing, discover the fulfilment and contentment that thus far had completely escaped me. Some of you are thinking, Bernie, how could you have completely missed out on the most important things? And my answer would be because I, like so many other people on this planet, have swallowed this lie that to be happy, you have to accumulate a lot of stuff. I was simply being successful, but at the wrong things. Things that at the funeral wouldn't matter a toss. Friend, as we chat today and over the coming weeks about living the sort of life that will leave a lasting legacy of love in the people around you, I want to ask you, have you really decided what is truly, truly important in your life? Is it getting the next promotion at the place where you work or, or making sure that your children are getting enough of your time? Is it buying that next trinket or bauble that you can't afford or being part of changing the people around you for good? When those people get up to speak at your funeral, will they be able to say the sorts of things that you'd really, in your heart of hearts, like them to be able to say? Or will they be struggling to find something nice to say about you? Maybe it's time for you to sit down quietly on your own over the next day or two and write down the sorts of things that you would like those people to say at your funeral and then ask yourself... Am I living that life, doing those things that will lead them to say the things I want them to say? It's kind of a gap analysis of what's really important to you versus how you're actually living your life. Beginning with the end in mind, doing that exercise seriously is in fact one of the most powerful things that you can ever do. I can honestly tell you it's one of the two or three things that I've done in my life that have brought around the greatest turnarounds that I've ever experienced, beginning with the end in mind. Now, interestingly, Stephen Covey is a Mormon, so his theology and my theology are miles apart. <laughs> That's an understatement. But at the end of the last chapter of his book, which can, I guess, be characterised as a self-help book, in a section he calls a personal note, he says this, I believe that there are parts to the human nature that cannot be reached by either legislation or education, but require the power of God to deal with. I believe as human beings we cannot perfect ourselves. 
And my friend, as great as the other parts of the book are, this one sentence unlocked the door to change and transformation in my life. Over the coming months, it caused me to seek out a relationship with Jesus, the Son of God, who came that I might have life in all its abundance. Like Covey, I will freely admit that there are still many things that I struggle with in life. But through each victory, through each negative emotion dealt with, through each new act of service that I've learned and am learning, I've discovered the truth of that one sentence that Covey wrote at the end of his book. Ultimately, we ourselves are powerless to change. Jesus said to his disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even unto the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And with everything I am, as I speak to you today, I can tell you that without that power, the power of the Holy Spirit, who was given to me the moment I put my trust in Jesus, there would have been no change, no change at all. The power to change, the power to live the life we want to live, is only found in one place, in Jesus Over the past couple of weeks, we've been discussing what it means to live a life that leaves behind a legacy of love. And on every level, it seems to me that loving other people involves risk. And loving other people in a radical, powerful way involves radical risks. Mother Teresa is perhaps one of the most iconic figures of the 20th century. There would be very few people on the planet who've never heard of her, and very few people who don't know what she did. She was a Catholic nun who opened missions in Calcutta in India to reach out and minister to the dying amongst the poorest of the poor, most of whom belonged to the Dalit class, or, as in the West they're known, the untouchables. From small beginnings, the Missionaries of Charity movement that she founded has now grown to over 4,500 sisters and is active in 133 countries around the world, running hospices and homes for people with HIV, AIDS and, and leprosy and tuberculosis. They run soup kitchens, children's and family counselling programs, orphanages, schools. What she began was an amazing ministry of radical, unconditional love that since her death in 1997 has grown into an international legacy that is touching the dying and the poorest of poor around the globe. But Mother Teresa wasn't always Mother Teresa. She was born in 1910 as Agnese Bozichiu in a place called Skopje, which is now the capital of the Republic of Macedonia, but at the time was part of the Ottoman Empire. Her father, a politician, died when she was just eight years old. Now, she was always fascinated with stories of missionaries going to far-off lands, and by the age of 12, she was convinced that she should commit her life to reaching, touching, and loving other people. She left home to join an order of nuns at the age of 18, and from that moment on, she never saw her mother and sister again. Some years later, on the 10th of September 1946, the now Sister Teresa, as she'd been named, experienced what she would later describe as a call within a call. She was travelling to the Loreto convent in Darjeeling from Calcutta for her annual retreat. This is how she described it. I was to leave the convent and help the poor while living among them. It was like an order. To fail would have been to break the faith. So she left the security of the convent to live amongst the poorest of the poor in Calcutta. 
She had no income. She was begging for food and supplies on the street. But in her heart of hearts, she was convinced that she was to live among the poorest of the poor and reach out to their dying. She experienced doubt and loneliness and the temptation to return to the comfort and the security of convent life. She experienced trials and challenges, doubts and fears, doubtless beyond measure. But day after day, as she lived amongst the dying, tended to their wounds, held them in her arms as they died, she was building something. No doubt it didn't feel like that. And I'm sure that if you had told her in those early days that one day she would win the Nobel Peace Prize and sit in the Oval Office chatting with the President of the United States, she would never have believed you. If you had told her that the Indian government would issue a special five-rupee coin, being the sum with which she arrived in India, to commemorate the 100th anniversary of her birth in 2010, 13 years after she died, she would have been absolutely incredulous. I tell you this story because people are famous, people who are successful. Well, all we seem to know about them is that they're famous and successful. That's all we see. We look at those people and think of them as overnight successes, not having seen the 20 years of blood and sweat and tears it took to get them there. Now, just think about this young girl from Macedonia. Her native tongue was Albanian. Think of the culture, the environment she grew up in, the gap between that environment and the slums of Calcutta is incalculable. Okay, she's arrived in India under the care and security of a large organisation, the Catholic Church, but she chose to step out of that, to become a beggar herself in order to minister to the dying amongst the poorest of poor. The risk was enormous. She was, by any measure, as a foreign young woman on her own in a country where she didn't speak many of the languages spoken around her, well, come on, she she was doomed to fail. This was risk with a capital R. But here's the principle. Here's the reason that I'm sharing this with you. Because radical love requires radical risk. And that doesn't necessarily mean leaving your home and travelling halfway around the world to an unfamiliar foreign land. Radical love may be required by a difficult teenager in your home, by your neighbours whose family is being torn apart by infidelity and divorce. Radical love may be required by your friend who has nowhere to live, or by someone in your community who can't even put a meal on their table to feed their children, or by a woman going through depression, or, or by a man struggling with alcoholism. Loving those people involves risk. It, it involves becoming vulnerable because it means exposing ourselves. See, we love to wrap ourselves in safety and security. We love to wrap ourselves in comfort and convenience. But all that is blown away the moment we choose to love people who are difficult to love. And remember, love isn't just a noun. It's not just something we have or don't have. Love is a verb. It's something we're meant to do. Love is a doing word. And so if you and I are going to leave behind our own legacy, perhaps not as large, not as well recognised as the legacy of Agnese Bozhehu from Skopje, but our own legacy, in our own way, in our own place, then, my friend, it is going to involve risk. It is going to involve discomfort and inconvenience. The nice world that we want to construct for ourselves, where everything's arranged neatly so as to meet our needs and our wants, will be completely shattered. The bottom line is that the moment we decide to leave behind a lasting legacy of love, we start living a life of risk. It's just the way it works. Jesus said 
No greater love has any man than to lay down his life for his friends. That's John chapter 15, verse 13. And that is exactly what he did. He gave his life freely and willingly for you and me. He said in John chapter 10, beginning at verse 17, he said, look, this is the reason dad loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one's taking it away from me, but I'm laying it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Jesus came to this earth to lay down his life for the dying, so that we might live. He came to this world not just for presidents and kings, but for the poorest amongst the poor, for ordinary people like you and me, to lay down his life so that whoever believes in him, whoever believes that his death on the cross is full payment for their sin, the only way to be accepted by God, whoever believes that would have a new life and an eternal life. That's radical love. It involved radical risk and radical sacrifice. It involved losing everything, even his life, so that you and I might live forever. And yeah, it often feels like Agnesia Borgia-Hugh of Skopje felt those first few years while she was begging for food and resources on the streets of Calcutta. It's often fraught with fears and doubts and, and pains and sufferings. When we choose to love people with the love of Christ, radically and powerfully and sacrificially, in a way that will transform their lives, my friend, it is definitely going to cost us something. So... Are you someone who wants to leave behind your own lasting legacy of love? Are you? Then my question is this. What risks are you prepared to take? What are you prepared to lose? How much are you prepared to give away in order that others may live? When it comes to leaving a lasting legacy of love, there is perhaps no greater example of that. In fact, there definitely is no greater example of that than what Jesus imparted to his disciples, the 11 who were left, the guys who went out to found the Christian church. The 12 that travelled with Jesus for three and a half years, well, he taught them, he showed them, he loved them. Hey, these guys went to the best Bible college ever, right? They spent time personally with Jesus. Of course, Judas fell by the wayside. And after the death and resurrection of Jesus, you'd think, wouldn't you, that these 11 guys who are left would be ready to go and take on the world. They've had their training. Jesus is about to ascend to heaven again, and he's left the whole future of the church, the body of Christ, in the world for all time in their hands. But just before he ascends, you'd imagine that Jesus would say something like, OK, boys. I have taught you everything I know. I've graded your final papers and the 11 of you who are left now have your ministry diploma. Go for it. Go take on the world in my name. But that's precisely the one thing he didn't say. In fact, in a very real sense, he said quite the opposite. Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 4. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you'll restore the kingdom of Israel? And he replied, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even unto the ends of the earth. When he had said this, 
As they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. The very last thing he said to them was, you need something more. Not just the training I've given you, you actually need something more. You need the power of the Holy Spirit if you guys are going to live lives that will leave a lasting legacy of love. And just as he promised, Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit on them. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability. My friend, apart from Jesus, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I can do nothing, absolutely nothing, of eternal significance. And I know that there are some people listening today who've been laboring and laboring and laboring for God and not getting anywhere and struggling and wondering, why is this so hard? Why does it feel as though I'm doing it in my own strength? I know we've already prayed in the program, but I actually, right now, I feel that we need to pray again for you to be filled with the power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Father God, we know that we receive the Holy Spirit the moment we believe in Jesus, whom you sent for us. That's your promise. But we confess to you today that we don't always give your Spirit free reign in our lives. We struggle through things in our own strength. We we go off and do things we want to do, not all of them honouring you. Well, today we ask for your forgiveness and we repent. We turn away from the sin of self-sufficiency And we confess to you that without you, we are powerless to serve, powerless to have an impact, powerless to leave a lasting legacy of love. So, Lord Jesus, we ask you to fill us with this very same spirit, this very same power. Fill us to overflowing, drench us, baptize us with the fullness of your Holy Spirit so that rivers, rivers of living water will run out from our hearts and our bellies and bring life to the dying world around us. Jesus, we ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit in your precious name. Amen. My friend, if you prayed that prayer with me from this moment on, believe you me, you are filled with power from on high. Power to be holy. Power to lay down your life. Power to love and to serve the unlovable. Power to live the sort of life that will leave a legacy of life. Come on, Jesus said this. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, then ask me whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Friend, Jesus wants you to love this world in his power. Well, that's about all that we have time for. But before we go, don't forget that you can receive Bernie's devotional fresh into your inbox each day. A powerful scripture verse together with some words of inspiration, hope, and encouragement to help you be all that God made you to be. You can watch the video, listen to the audio, or read the devotional. It's completely up to you. Just stop by at ChristianityWorks.org and you'll find the fresh e-devotional sign up right there at the top of the homepage. And when you do subscribe, you'll immediately receive a free copy of Bernie's ebook, How Can I Hear God Speak to Me? 
That web address again is ChristianityWorks.org. I'm Jennifer, and you've been listening to Christianity Works with Bernie Dimatt.